Well, welcome to Inspiring Voice. With all the distractions and the noise in the world, are you able to hear your own inspiring voice? Are you able to use your voice to create those healthy human connections so you can thrive in business and in life? I'm Donna Rastikin Mack, the creator of Inspiring Voice and founder of iVoice Communication. We envision a world where everyone has the confidence and the ability to communicate and to connect. And this is the podcast. We begin the Inspiring Voice podcast with audio from the archives, interviews that were conducted between the years 2003 and 2009 when I did a radio show called Vital Women. You know, when I found these and I listened to them just a few weeks back, I realized that their content is just as valuable now as it was then. So I decided to share. So thanks for listening. Here's the archived interviews and wisdom, some deep wisdom from Vital Women on the Inspiring Voice podcast. Now, as you can see, the female-producing X chromosome is clearly larger than its counterpart. It's a girl! We are from Venus. Your goal is to do cardio or an aerobic workout at least three days a week. When I grow up, I want to be an architect. When I grow up, I want to be a mother, a ballerina, and a doctor. We are from Venus. And lift. We're almost done. Don't give up now. You can do it. Good morning. This is Donna Mack, and you're listening to Vital Women on 93.3 Coast FM. We come in all shapes and sizes, from different kinds of backgrounds and ethnic groups. But one thing's for sure, we are better women when we work together to accomplish what we set out to do. And that's the goal of our Vital Women program, to show you the steps women have taken to get to where they are. Now, while a power invested in me, let no man put us under. Now, our blood flows through each other, loyal forever. Raise our voices. Yes, we come in all shapes and sizes. And if you've spent five minutes or more stressing about your size, well, you're going to love today's guest. Ellen Frankel is the author of The Diet Survivor's Handbook and today offers a wealth of healthy advice. Ellen calls Massachusetts home and she says she spent way too much time herself worrying about being the perfect size. Ellen is a social worker and a therapist and specializes in women and eating disorders and now tells us how she got to where she is today. Author Ellen Frankel on Vital Women. Well, what my sister and I set out to do when we wrote the book is to help people understand that each of us has a weight that's right for us. Now, that doesn't mean it's the weight that is going to be on the cover of a magazine, but it means it's the weight that's right for us. So sometimes we think that losing 5 to 10 pounds is really what we, quote unquote, should be doing to be healthy, to look better. But in fact, what we know is that when people try to lose 5 or 10 pounds, they're also gain, they're often gaining 15 to 20 pounds because you lose weight and you gain more back. So what we advocate is doing away with diets altogether. First of all, diets don't work. They won't work. What we say over and over is you haven't failed diets. Diets have failed you. Mm -hmm. Diets have a 95% failure rate. So it's really unthinkable to, in any other field, to have something with such a miserable failure rate. 
And in other words, if you went to your doctor with a strep throat, people are getting sick right and left. They have Mm -hmm. strep throats. You walked into your doctor and your doctor said, in fact, yes, you do have strep. I'm going to give you an antibiotic. Now, Ellen, Donna, this antibiotic will clean up the infection uh, 5% of the time. But when you take that medicine, just take it with a lot of determination. You would say... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, I, I want to get, I got to go to work. I got to take care of my kids. I don't need a strep throat. Give me a medicine that's going to work. We'd insist on it. But in fact, the failure rate of diets are 95%. So we're given a product that doesn't work, number one. Number two, if you do want to lose that 5 to 10 pounds, you have to figure out, does your body really need to lose that 5, 10, or 10 pounds? Or is it because the culture is telling us that no matter how we look, we could look better. We could look thinner and really decide if if you actually need to lose the weight. What we know from a lot of studies is that actually um, a lower weight does not necessarily translate into better health. We've Mm -hmm. been fed a a lot of um, myths in that area. And maybe we should look at the situation with more respect and respect our bodies and perhaps look at that five or 10 pounds and say, well, maybe it's there. Maybe it's there because it's who I am, and maybe I could just strengthen it. So instead of losing it, maybe I could get into more physical activity. Absolutely. You know, embracing it, saying, wow, that extra, you know, if if I have thighs that I think might be too big, how muscular are they too? How much will they allow me to run, to play with my kids, to go up and down the stairs doing all the things I need to do? There's a lot of different ways of relearning how to respect our bodies because in this culture we're sort of taught to split up our bodies into different different units almost you know my thighs are this my stomach's this my breasts are this and sort of not looking at the wholeness of wow all these things together make me who I am Mm -hmm. and it's really important to think about how we can learn to respect embrace our bodies um, for all the wonderful things they do rather than constantly beating ourselves up about not looking the way someone tells us we should look. Mm-hmm. That Miss America. That yeah. American Idol. That American Actually, Idol. I was looking at American Idol not long ago, and it is kind of refreshing to see some of the girls and some of the guys who aren't perfect, who it, have such awesome talent. And you know what? People still love them. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I have to say I'm, a, I'm an Idol fan, and, and I do love watching <laughs> Tuesdays, although Wednesdays I usually just fast forward to find out who's, who's going at the end. Right. But um, I really, really love Mandisa. I don't know if you saw when she first auditioned, and she sang so beautifully. And Simon had said after she left, oh, are we going to need a bigger stage now because <gasps> she's a woman of size? I missed that. And, oh. yeah, yeah, and afterwards, um, Mandisa was able to see the tape back and hear what Simon said. And? And she was, rightly so, pretty furious. And at the final stage of her being accepted in, in the finals, she walked in and she told Simon that she forgave him, that they had processed it. But she sat down in a chair that was quite a skimpy chair, pretty much for anybody, and certainly for a woman of size. And she sat down in it and she said, you know, Simon, one thing I would have appreciated are some larger chairs. And I thought, <laughs> you go, girl. Uh, but I agree with you. I, I like I like that um, we have Taylor, who's turned gray on the early side. Right. We've got different body types. And, you know, that's how we all look. We, we don't all look like the cover of a magazine, which is already airbrushed, right. computer generated, you know, all of those kinds of things. You know, I think to the original idol and Kelly Clarkson, who obviously has made it. And I saw in a magazine her saying that she refuses. 
she is who she is. And they originally wanted her to lose like 10 or 15 pounds. And she said, you know what? I am who I am. And if I do that, I am not going to have the strength. I'm not going to have the energy to be Kelly Clarkson and to be who you want me to be talent-wise. That's that's so wonderful. And I think it's so important for all of us to hear, but especially for our children, especially our girls growing up, to see somebody who says, this is who I am. This is what my body needs. This is what I need for energy. Because so often we're heard, we hear the other message. And it's just, it's wonderful to see somebody like Kelly out there making it, doing her thing and, and feeling really happy with who she is. You know, and the truth is, if Kelly had listened, like so many of us do, to advice of, well, you should lose 10 or 15 pounds, what would happen was she would lose it because with every diet you can lose weight. Regardless of what you cut out, you'll lose the weight temporarily, but then you're going to gain it back plus some. So she probably would have found herself in the diet binge cycle. She would have probably been feeling pretty emotionally devastated, pretty drained mentally in terms of energy, physically in terms of energy, and probably wouldn't be cranking out the wonderful songs and being as happy as she is had she embarked on, you know, the idea of losing weight. That feeling of being a failure. Mm. They've actually done studies and show that all dieters, regardless of what their body size was to begin with, whether they were thin, average, or fat, that the more diets these women have been on, the more depressed they become. Wow. Because, you know, we can just kind of imagine what happens physiologically, but emotionally as well. So, and, and that is across the board for women of any weight. So it's really important when people are out there thinking, oh, spring's coming, bathing suit season's coming, I should lose 5 or 10 or 50 or whatever it might be, to really stop and think, Physically, what's it going to do to me? Emotionally, what's it going to do to me? And why can't I live in a culture where I can celebrate my body? Why can't I, you know, listen to the words of Kelly and say, Kelly Clarkson and say, this is who I am. Listen to Mandice and say, Simon, get over it. (laughs) This is me. This is me, America. And, you know, the truth is, even if all of us were to eat a low-calorie diet, even if all of us were to exercise a certain amount, same amount, um, every day, we would all come in different shapes and sizes regardless. None of us are going to be able to be 5'10 at 120 pounds or whatever it might be because we're all come in different shapes and sizes. So I think we have to just get away from the idea, too, that if we diet enough, if we take the right pill, take the right exercise, eat the right food, that we're all going to somehow look the way um, society's, what society's holding up as perfection right now. Would you blame obesity on the massive amounts of diets out there? Well, I think... A couple things with the whole obesity issue is that our criteria, first of all, and what we consider fat has changed. In 1998, there were millions and millions of Americans who went to bed at quote-unquote a healthy weight. Then the guidelines were changed overnight, and they woke up now overweight and considered at risk. I remember that study. All of a sudden, I was working with a gentleman, and he said, oh my, I'm obese. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, you're right. All of a sudden. Overnight. And what happens is then somebody says, oh, no, I'm now overweight. Oh, no, I'm supposedly facing all these medical crises. I better what? I better go on a diet. Mm-hmm. Well, once you go on a diet, you're back in that diet binge cycle, back in the yo-yoing, back in the gaining weight. So oftentimes people are gaining weight as a result of the pressure from doctors and health care workers and the media to lose weight. That's number one. Number two is that um, we're just a really kind of sedentary people right now. You know, in the past 30 years, as people have um, been more concerned about the obesity epidemic, and again, I'm not so sure that there is an obesity epidemic, so I'll, that's probably for another show. Interesting. But, um, you know, what we know is that 
People have garage door openers. They drive to work. They sit at computers all day. Um, Kids come home. They're doing work on the computer. They're very involved in um, extracurricular activities, which aren't always athletic, which Mm -hmm. is fine, but sometimes they don't have the time then to go outside. You know, when I was growing up, we just went outside after school and played. We played jump rope, hopscotch, kick the can. Baseball, kickball. Whatever Mm -hmm. it was, yeah, you give us a a Coke can and a bat and we, you know, we had ourselves a game. Nowadays, you don't do that for many reasons. And so I think that the sedentary lifestyle has created to, understandably, people gaining more weight. And I think we have to look at the huge um, increase in people dieting to understand why people are gaining weight. You know, if there were if there were a diet out there that actually worked, believe me, that's what you and I would be talking about. That's what everybody <laughs> would do. We would know about it. Will they ever make that pill? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, right now, no. Mm-hmm. If there was, we would know. And so what we do know is that not getting enough physical activity and eating foods that, um, you know, we're not burning off as much is going to lead to some increase in weight, as is dieting. And the two factors together, I think, is what's created a lot of um, higher weights. The other thing is what we have to remember, too, are the studies that show that actually, especially for women, being in the quote-unquote overweight range is the healthiest place to be. In terms of mortality, that is the healthiest place for women. We're not told that because, you know, that doesn't sell a whole lot of diet products. (laughs) Why do you say that? I mean, I do know that we can be slightly overweight and still healthy if we are indeed active, if we do our cardio, if we, you know, are emotionally healthy in addition to that. But but can you verify what you just sure. said? Sure. What they've done, study after study has shown, if you look at a bell-shaped curve mm-hmm. in terms of weight, in terms of weight, uh, the people who fall at the lowest ends, so the people who are um, thinner than the average on, on the extreme tail end of the thinner, are at the highest risk for premature mortality. Hmm. Then comes the people on the tail ends of the higher weight. So the extreme ends of the higher weight would come in second place in terms of um, premature mortality. Everybody else in the middle is pretty much the same, um, with the exception that women who are higher than the average, tend to tend to live longer, which makes sense when you think about it in terms of physiology. You know, you have a little extra protection. Right. Um, study after study is showing this. And what we also know is that from the uh, Cooper Institute out in Dallas, Texas, has done a ton of studies that show that if you are heavy and you stabilize, you stay at a heavier weight and you're engaged in f- uh, fitness, physical activity, and your fitness level is good— um, you are much better off than a lean person who is not physically active. And that if you stabilize at your higher weight, you're in much better shape than people who are going up and down. So there's a lot to be said for um, respecting the fact that if you're of average or above average weight, that that's fine. You don't need to get down to this ultra-thin ideal. What everyone needs to do is start moving and not moving for weight loss. Moving for weight loss is like being on a diet, you know? Moving for weight loss is, oh, I better get on the treadmill, and if I don't, I'm bad. Just like if I eat that ice cream, I'm bad. we got to get away from the good and bad. What we need to focus on is movement for the joy of life. What does it feel like to go out and take your dog for a walk, to go out and play? If you love aerobics, great. Take an aerobic class, dance, yoga. But it has to be something you love, and it has to be something you're doing for your emotional health, and your physical health, but not for weight loss. Because what we know, too, is that even without weight loss, 
these benefits are there. Absolutely, because when you get out there, you get to connect with nature. You get to connect with your neighbors. You get to connect with your kids. And you get those endorphins when it's all over. (laughs) Absolutely. And also in terms of things like cholesterol level, blood pressure, it's not losing the weight. It's becoming physically fit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, forget the 20 pounds that you're thinking you have to lose. If you're worried about high blood pressure, high cholesterol, get moving. That will Those values will come down regardless of if weight comes off or not. If weight comes off and it moves more toward your natural weight, that's absolutely fine. You know, some people are at a higher weight than their body's meant to be for many reasons. And when they start moving and eating, um, eating following their own internal hunger cues, they'll stabilize at the weight that's healthy for them. But we have to think of healthy weight and not goal, ideal weight. Those Mm -hmm. kind of get us more in trouble. Ellen Frankel with us this morning on Vital Women. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Donna Mack. Ellen is the author of A Diet Survivor's Handbook. And thank you so much for joining us this morning, Ellen. Thanks, Donna. You know, you mentioned a little while ago the um, mortality rate for people who are very, very thin and people who are very, very heavy. And it's those people in the middle, you say, who are most apt to live the longest. That's right. You know, the models that we see on the cover of the magazines are typically 23 percent below their expected weight for their height, Mm. which actually meets the criteria, at least in terms of weight, for anorexia nervosa. Does it? So, you know, that's what, what so many people are comparing themselves. And we need to get away from that, not only for our own psyches, but for our health. Well, you mentioned it, psyches. I'm thinking of stress factor, too. The woman who will, yes, occasionally indulge in that great piece of carrot cake or awesome piece of bread and butter. You know what? There's something to be said about saying, I deserve that. This is a pleasure in life. Food is a pleasure. That's right. We always say, you know, eat with gusto, live fully, live freely. Um, You know, the one thing that I think happens a lot for women is that oftentimes when they're going through a period of stress or they've had a long day and they say, oh, I, I want something, I deserve it. What we would say is, you know, if you're hungry for that piece of carrot cake, if you're hungry for uh, those chips and salsa, whatever it is, go for it. But what we say is oftentimes women, men too, will want those things when they're going through a stressful time or when they want to celebrate something because they don't allow them cells to have that at other times, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of separating good food, bad food. So we really advocate all foods being legal, free to eat, if it's in accordance with your own physical hunger. So in other words, we're used to separating the good food and bad food, thinking this is what I should eat. I should eat a salad and some cottage cheese or some tuna. Um, I should eat some skinless baked chicken. What we say is, you know, that's fine if you're hungry for it, but if you're hungry for a cheeseburger and fries, that's what you should have. Mm -hmm. And in time, your body will, follow following its natural cues, your body will eat the kinds of food it needs. There won't be good or bad foods anymore. So when you're at a time that you might be feeling stressed or emotionally in need of a little um, little something special, it might be food, but it might just as well be a good walk or scheduling a massage or going out with a friend to just giggle. Right. <laughs> you know? Wow. It's a breath of fresh air to hear this. Ellen Frankel with us this morning on Vital Women. Ellen, the author of A Diet Survivor's Handbook. Now, you wrote this book with your sister. I did. All right. And she's not in Massachusetts with Nope, you. she lives in Chicago. Oh, don't you love up. technology where you can actually communicate back and forth? Oh, those I mean, emails. How did you make this all happen? Yeah, you know, this is actually our second book we did together. Our first book is called Beyond a Shadow of a Diet, and it was a book for therapists treating compulsive eating. My sister and I both specialize in eating disorders. 
disorders. Um, so we got into this wonderful rhythm of working around kids' schedules, work schedules, and it's really been wonderful. It's such a treat. Um, we would clear our ca uh, calendars. We'd get um, uh, free long distance. That was a big plug. And yeah. then we, it's amazing with computers, just sending drafts back and forth, and it worked great. And actually, a couple of times I was visiting her, and we tried to work in person. And you know what? It just works much better over the phone and on the computer. Isn't it's that, that funny? funny? Yeah. yeah. People, my parents would say, oh, you're together now. Why don't you take some time to work? And we realized we do much, much better on the phone. Right. You mentioned massage. So perhaps when you're together, it's that time to yes. go and pamper yourself at the spa or something. <laughs> or see a movie because we've run out of things to say to each other. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> Now, I hear you're also working on book number three. I am. I am. That's called Beyond Measure, a memoir on short stature and inner growth. Mm. Um, so that's coming out in September, and I'm very excited about it because I feel like it's another avenue to pursue in terms of body size and celebrating body body shape diversity and being yeah. a, being a very short woman myself. Um, Vertically challenged like me? Yes, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think... Um, I've met tons of people in the grocery store because I can't reach things off the shelf. And, you know, it's fun. We talk. Right. <laughs> we we help each other out. If there's something on the bottom shelf, I'm more than happy to just kind of bend down a tiny bit and get that for them. Right. So, right. Um, but it's, oh, it's been a great, um, a great experience writing that book and looking at all angles of body size and struggles right. women go through. The struggles are really intertwined, aren't they? Because no matter how you're made, you really have to kind of come to grips with it. Absolutely. And I think for me growing up short in a short family, and again, I'm, I'm four, eight and a half. And it's funny, I always put that half in, not that it really matters. I guess I could say I'm four and nine, but I'm four and a half. Um, and there was a lot of emphasis on my height and how my height might be very difficult for me. And a lot of people I remember would say to me, you know, being short, you better watch everything you eat because five pounds on a tall person doesn't show up. But but on a short person, it does. And I just remember feeling like something was wrong with me because people were so concerned about, you know, what my final height was going to be. And I found myself, that was when I really found myself dieting, um, thinking, well, I better listen to them. If I'm, if I'm uh, short, I better at least be thin. And that caused a whole cycle of, of the dieting syndrome for myself, thinking, you know, well, I can't be tall and thin, but the best I can do is get half of that equation. I'll be right, short and thin. Right. And, and it was just a, um, a miserable way of living, of always feeling like my body somehow wasn't right. Did you get and, stuck in an eating disorder yourself? Yeah, I, I did and I didn't. I didn't have a full-blown eating disorder that people acknowledged and that, um, that I went into treatment for, but I certainly engaged in um, disordered eating of restricting and then binging. Um, my dad used to take diuretics for high blood pressure, and I used to take them. I don't know how he never knew they were gone, but I used to take them um, as a way to lose weight, diet pills, diuretics, which are the mm -hmm. water pills. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I went out to have pizza with a friend, I would make sure that I ran five miles afterwards, things oh my like goodness, that. Right. And then I just got so sick of it. I, by the time I was in college, I thought, you know, I'm weighing myself five times a day, taking the best three out of five readings. You know, I'd move the scale because certain places on the floor would make your weight less. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I don't own a scale now, but I remember doing that. And I just started thinking, why am I letting a scale measure my worth? Why am I saying I'm a good person or a bad person? Or I'm going to have a good day or a bad day based on what I weigh. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is when I quit dieting altogether, when I said I will never do this again, and that was over 25 years ago, um, my weight stabilized. It stabilized at a place that was meant for my body. And through having two children and 
Um, you know, being in my mid-40s now, I don't own a scale, but I'm at the doctor's once a year, and I weigh the same amount all the time because I'm not dieting. I think if I were dieting, I'd experience what a lot of people do of, of the ups and downs. And, of course, it is true as we get older, we gain some weight, and that's actually very protective. That's a, a great physiological response mm-hmm. um, for our bodies. I wonder if that also holds true for the elderly. I'm thinking specifically about uh, my grandmother, Mm. who was always 104 pounds, teeny, teeny woman. But all of a sudden, over the past couple of years, my goodness, she's gained 20 pounds. Well, you know, that is actually great news for her. You know, it's funny because we all want to be so thin. Mm. But you think about if you're visiting somebody in a nursing home Mm. or geriatric center, it's the heavier women and men that you think look healthy, right? Right, right. And same with babies. Yes, right. Those are the ones that we say— Oh, look it, they look well. And it's only when we're, you know, when we're not babies and we're not in our later years that we think that thin is healthy. The thin is a picture of health. So I think for your grandmother, your grandmother? Yeah, yeah. That's a great, a great thing because it, um, it is, it is protecting, it's isn't protecting. it? It's protecting. It's protecting. And you know, this is something I just think as women, it's just an amazing thing. We think that we can't trust our body to tell us what to eat, when to eat. We certainly can. Um, Without any of these external rules, our body has such wisdom. And one of the things that I was always amazed by is that two women who have babies, one at a full-term baby and one a premature baby, the breast milk of the mother who delivered the premature infant is actually different in nutritional composition than the milk, breast milk of the mother who had a full-term baby. Are there more nutrients? More nutrients. More nutrients to fight infection, more nutrients for growth. And as the, bo- as the baby grows, as the you know, weeks go on, the breast milk will change in content again wow. for the baby's requirements. You know, my feeling when I used to talk to clients or to friends who say, I can't trust my body to tell me what to eat. I can't really quit dieting. I need these external rules. I'd say, hey, if your body knows how to do that, your body can certainly tell you, what to eat, when to eat. Your body certainly knows when it's gaining weight through some of the old, you know, transition years as we get older that it needs to do that. Um, now, certainly, if you see some huge weight gain, you want to check out what's going on as my behaviors change, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think we really need to respect um, the physiological changes that our bodies go through. I think I'd share with you a quote um, from the Diet Survivor's Handbook about how the body changes through the life cycle, and it's one that I love that says, um, no man ever steps in the same river twice, for he's not the same man and it's not the same river. I think we need to... It's beautiful. We need to, yeah, think about our own bodies changing. Every day new cells are born, other cells die. We're the same person that we were every day, and yet we're different. And we really need to embrace that growth in ourselves and in each other. You have quotes throughout the book, the Diet Survivor's Handbook. I so enjoyed reading them, Ellen, that's for sure. As a matter of fact, I jotted down my favorite. Can I pass it along? Sure. Be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter. And those who matter don't mind. Good old Dr. Seuss. It's wonderful, isn't it? I've shared that with my kids. I've shared that with my husband. And I love it. That's great. Oh, that's wonderful. I love it, too. Mm-hmm. So you really take these quotes and help people feel more positive about themselves and who they are right now today. That's right. You know, Sometimes people think change comes if we beat ourselves up enough. Uh, mm. Beat ourselves up enough. But of course, when we speak negatively, when we when we think such negative thoughts to ourselves, no good comes of it. You know, instead of looking at the negatives, turn it around. You know, 
what do I feel like doing today? What What's spread before me? It doesn't matter what I weigh. It doesn't matter how tall I am. But what do I want to do and how do I want to live my life from a positive place? You know, it's the same kind of thing when I say diet conversations are just so boring. <laughs> you know, they really truly are. <laughs> no matter who's trying the cabbage soup diet or the zone or something, it's same old, same old. You know, Annie Dillard, another quote in the book, who says how we spend our days is how we spend our life. So to really think about when you look back on your life, do you want someone to say, she stayed on her diet a long time. You know, <laughs> she she really I, I don't think I ever saw her eat a French fry. Right. Or do we want her to say, wow, I used to love taking these walks. She would point out the most beautiful flowers. Boy, did she whatever it was. You know, that's how I think women need to connect. And unfortunately, too. So many women, we've been taught to be in competition with each other. Mm -hmm. I remember joining a um, fitness center a while back, and the big ad for the gym was a picture of a woman working out, and it said, become the woman every woman hates. And I was thinking, I can't join this gym, but they have the classes I need. (laughs) What do I do? But it was very, very upsetting to see something like that. And I think women, you know, I love that I wrote this book with my sister because I feel like in the biological sense we're sisters, but I feel in the circle of women that we're all sisters and how important it is to really encourage each other to think outside the cultural box we've been put in. We're not just our bodies, but we certainly can celebrate our bodies and do wonderful things in the world. You know, I think we're doing better not judging others by their outward appearance, but I guess what we need to do is to stop judging ourselves. From what's on the outside. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree with you. And, you know, I think that it's really important to be teaching our children, both boys and girls, um, young men and women, that appearance is appearance. You know, you can do wear the clothes you love, dress the way you love, be yourself. But to look inside, to respect one another's vision for the world, all of those things. And it's just as important with boys for their own body image, but also because their sons, their husbands, their brothers, their friends, and we need to start respecting one another and how we talk to ourselves, you know, what messages we give one another by the way we, you know, I used to say to people when I was working with families, especially to the mothers, even if you feel that way about your thighs, even if you feel that way about your stomach, under no circumstances are you allowed to verbalize them in front of your children. Right. You know, Children learn what they see, and when they look at their mother and see this beautiful, nurturing person who's taking care of them berate herself, then all of a sudden, her 12-year-old daughter will start looking in the mirror as well, saying, my thighs are fat, my stomach's not okay, I'm unacceptable. So we need to model for ourselves and for each other. Ellen Frankel, author of the forthcoming book, Beyond Measure. Now, this is Mount Everest in the background, right? It is. All right. Because you may be of short stature, but you've certainly done some huge things. Well, you know, it's so funny. I always wanted to go trekking in a place like Nepal. And it was the kind of thing that I thought, oh, yes, one day, wouldn't that be wonderful? And all of a sudden, I thought, what am I thinking one day? Today would be a good day. Yes. (laughs) So I did. I went... um, trekking first with my husband in Nepal, and then I figured I'd leave him home with the kids, and I went back to trek up to Temboche Monastery at Mount Everest, um, which is about 13,000 feet. And I did have that sort of epiphany of, wow, we're all dwarfed by Everest, because (laughs) um, everybody used to say, you know, with my height, oh, well, it must be hard because you can't do this and you can't do this. And I thought, heck, I can do whatever I want. Right. So I've had phenomenal experiences. I've since also gone to Bhutan and done some hiking in the Alps. And I just 
love it. I love the strength. I love feeling um, that my body can really exert itself, but also rest and replenish in the beautiful nature, um, the quietness of the mountains. And it's just been such a gift for me to realize myself in that in that setting. And what's the quote again you had mentioned about living for today? Annie Dillard, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. So you decided to spend your days like the way you want to spend your life. You know, and it is a wonderful feeling because I have to say years and years ago, I was doing clinical work with eating disorders and I just love it. And I learned so much from my clients and, and use that work in my writing. But I always wanted to write ever since I was very little. I always wanted to study Buddhism, and I always wanted to be near Mount Everest. These were things when I was 12 and 13. And, you know, I did what most girls do. You learn to say, oh, I can't do that. You know, I want to do that, but I don't, I don't know that I can do that. And didn't have a lot of encouragement for it and went the route of getting my degree and getting my job and doing the things that I was sort of supposed to do that I really loved, but that still weren't all me. And then one day I woke up out of nowhere and said, I got to start writing books. And I got to start climbing mountains. And I did. And it feels so great because I don't feel like I'm trying something new as much as moving into who I've always been. Because you heard yourself. You listened to yourself. And you know what you want, not what your neighbor or your mom or your sister wants, what Ellen wants. Right. And it's so freeing. I I feel like I wake up every day on vacation (laughs) because I'm living what the life that I want to lead. And I feel, it's funny, a lot of my friends, when I was taking the trips to the Himalayas, would say, you know, we support you in what you're doing, but we really think that's the kind of thing you should do when the kids are at college. You know, um, you really should kind of wait until this is their turn. And I thought, well, I'm not like a remote control button that I can press pause and say, my life will begin again after these commercial breaks, and after I'm raising my kids. if you're going to be here. Right. And what I found was that it was an, not only a door opening for me, but for my children, because they saw that anything's possible if you just put one foot in front of the other and set it in motion. And it's terrific for me. My, our daughter is 17, our son's 14. And when I listen them, to them talk about what they want to do in the future, they're grand plans. And they feel very free to express them, to act on them, to challenge themselves. And I'm thrilled about that. And they might not be what I would imagine that they would do, but that's what I've learned. It doesn't matter. They just have to have their dream. Well, you're very inspiring, a very good role model. And the new book, Beyond Measure, we'll be looking for that in bookstores in September. And Ellen Frankel, the author of A Diet Survivor's Handbook, thank you so much for sharing with us this morning on Vital Women. Thanks so much for having me, Donna. Vital Women. Remember, we are better women when we work together. been listening to the best of vital women radio some wisdom from vital women on the inspiring voice podcast the vital women interviews were recorded between the years 2003 and 2009 they originally aired on clear channel communication and now they have a home right here inspiring voice it's the media outlet of iVoice communication the inspiring voice podcast is produced by nicholas young music by jeffrey blake and i am donna rustigian mack please connect with us anytime at iVoice communication if you'd like to become a more confident speaker and successful interpersonal communicator you can contact us through iVoiceCommunication.com. 
We'll leave you with this one. It's our hope that through a little bit of quiet every day, you can hear your own inspiring voice and be your own inspiring voice so you can create those healthy human connections and build a rich, rewarding life and career.